A FAM production. Furniture and mattress. FAM.news. Ben Haverty is a real estate expert, and he's on the show to explain what Nebraska Furniture Mart is doing that's unlike almost any business in our industry, and to talk about the future of physical locations for furniture and mattress stores. The Dos Marcos Show begins in 60 seconds. Driven entrepreneurs, listen up. It's time to team up with Nationwide Marketing Group, North America's most successful network of independent retailers. You'll gain access to programs and services that level the playing field between you and the national chains. Industry-leading digital marketing, increased buying power, exclusive networking events, and, of course, their awesome learning platform. Nationwide Marketing Group is the business partner that helps you get results and stay ahead of the competition. Take the first step today and visit nationwidegroup.org. Do you want more sales in three easy clicks? Yeah. It starts right now at doorcounts.com. With a completely redesigned user interface, gathering data has never been easier. Click number one, your salespeople connect with the customer as they walk through the door. Click two is the outcome. Click three, key performance metrics right there on your phone from anywhere at any time. Now your salespeople can spend their time selling and DoorCounts is going to gather the data you need to make your business better. Start right now at DoorCounts.com. Welcome to the Dos Marco Show with Mark Kinsley and Mark Quinn, where mattress and furniture leaders gather to grow, get the inside scoop, tell stories, and take tequila shots. The galaxy's greatest mattress podcast has liftoff in three, two, one. Liftoff, Kinsley. It's a beautiful thing. You know, I got a text from my dad. We had 20 people over this weekend for Christmas. And it was uh, Bridget's sister's family. So it was kind of cool. And then I got a text. My dad got COVID. Can you believe that? No. But he's good. It's okay. He's like a total wise ass and everything's fine. Well, you know, (laughs) if he's continuing. But he's at 80, right? But he's, you know, he's vaccinated and all that stuff. But he's doing good. But it's so take it for real. I think there's a lot of spread. But if you're, you know, taking care of yourself, you'll be fine. But as long as he still has his sense of humor, you know, Nick Quinn is still Nick Quinn. Which, if anybody (laughs) knows this industry well, Nick Quinn is a legend. So, hey, wishing you well and all the health soon. And uh, yes. Mark Just Quinn. a reminder to keep everyone well, but Ben Haverty looks well. Look at him. He is looking great today, Ben. Thanks for coming on the show. Really, really glad you decided to join us to talk about all things dirt. When I introduced Ben to Adrian, I called him a dirt dealer. Were you mad at me, Ben? Was that fair? That's <laughs> what I do. Slinging real estate. <laughs> well, Ben, that last name of yours, Haverty, is pretty familiar to a lot of people in the industry. Is there a connection there? There is. Uh, my great-grandfather, over 130 years ago, started Haverty's Furniture. Uh, and then uh, there's been family members working in and at it through the years. I had a nice long stint there for about 20 years and love it. Uh, there's, it's a publicly held company. It's on the New York Stock Exchange. But there's still some family remnants uh, that are there. And uh, in fact, my brother heads up the real estate department for Haverty. So we talk shop regularly. <laughs> so to- That's a heck of a heritage, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So you were there for 25 years and now you're in the real estate business with Collier's and your brother is meanwhile back at the ranch at Haverty. So how did you guys get interested in the real estate part of the business throughout the years? And then you've just taken off into that space. 
Well, the, um, you know, most retail businesses grow their businesses by growing their store count. Uh, they may have a 3 4 5% increase every year, but if they really want to dramatically grow, they need to grow their footprint. And so uh, my father, who was a president of Havery's for many years, also did all the real estate and then eventually brought my brother in to handle the real estate. So they they together helped grow it. And then when I was an employee there, I uh, found the real estate for the stores that I was responsible for, as well as uh, I went through a period as an entrepreneur uh, in the real estate business and did all the real estate work for my stores personally. So I've got a unique window in that both I have been a retailer as well as I am a retail broker. So there's very few people on the real estate side who actually practice the arts and science of furniture retail. All right. So we've kind of touched on a few things here, but give us a capture of who you are, who has been Haverty's because you, you talked about being with uh, Haverty's for, for 25 years and then running the entrepreneurial side of your life. Uh, but what's your elevator pitch? So people kind of get a lay of the land for who has been Haverty. Well, uh, you know, one, I'm on a great team. Colliers International is one of the third largest real commercial real estate companies in the world. And we've got about 80 offices in the United States. I specifically head up within Colliers, the furniture real estate practice group. And we both help retailers as well as wholesalers find real estate solutions across the country from California to Florida to Michigan for their problems. And the reason I'm heading it up is because I have so much experience in the industry as a practitioner, as a retailer, as well as running a home distribution center. And so I know the business and uh, can help find realistic solutions for retailers and wholesalers based on my experience. Take us into what does that world look like today? Because the immediate question I had whenever mm -hmm. uh, Mark Quinn told me that we were going to have you on the show was, things seem to be changing very rapidly in the commercial real estate business as it relates specifically to furniture and mattress stores. Mm -hmm. A lot of people uh, have a doomsday scenario that many products are moving online or there's such a hybrid of e-commerce and brick and mortar retail that you're going to start to see some of the brick and mortar locations uh, shed some dead skin and there's a massive reset. But give us the reality because you're living it. You see the numbers, you see the data. What's this world shaping up to look like uh, this year and beyond? Well, um, you know, uh, there's no denying that digital retail is affecting physical retail in the furniture world. Obviously, you have the Wayfarers of the world, Caspers, a, a dozen digital mattress stores have entered the business, but all of them have found that you can only saturate the market so much with digital sales. And eventually to grow your business, you have to get into the physical retail world. And so obviously the announcement with Wayfair opening stores is a was, was always coming. They've had a head of real estate for years, uh, even though they're just opening up, but they've been planning it for a while. Casper's, you know, again, announced 100 retail stores because they've realized that people still need to touch and feel product in order to feel more comfortable buying it. Um, and so we're going to continue to see two things. One, obviously, Pure digital furniture brands are going to start opening up stores, as well as uh, current physical retailers are going to get more and more sophisticated in offering their products online. Um, so, again, I, the, the reality is the, the buzzword omni-retail really does apply to the furniture world. Um, and that digital retailers are getting into physical locations and 
traditional retailers are expanding their market by offering more of a digital selection. And, and Ben, I think one of the things that stood out to me over the past year and a half-ish of interviews here on the Dos Marcos show is one we did with Doug Stevens, who is a retail futurist. And Doug talked about the media effect of having a physical product in a location. Yep. People first get exposure to that product mm -hmm. at a physical location. Then they go home and buy it. So they were plopping down products or stores within these different metros and then looking at five, 10 mile radiuses for online sales and seeing major lift. Have you experienced that in this category? Do you see that? Well, and, and what we see happening is um, furniture shoppers are using the internet, but as much as anything, they're using it to find the retailers and the products that they want to put on their physical shopping list. So you're being, you know, your website's defining who you are in that customer's mind. And they're making a decision, I am going to go to this store, this store, this store, because they have products I like, or they have a feel I like, they have a presentation I like. And then customers are coming in a little bit more with a mission, opposed to just wandering around the store. They're saying, I saw this veteran suit on your website. Can you show it to me? So they're coming there. They pre-qualified the store using the Internet, but they're still going to the store to touch and feel that product. And then many times if they don't buy it there, they may go home and then go back on the website and purchase it there. And so um, the store is still very much an integral part of the buying process, but the website has now become a bigger part of the physical process. If anybody's well. ever seen the path to purchase studies for mattress <laughs> buyers or furniture buyers, pick, pick a product in the furniture space, you would think it would be go online. I'm going to do my research and then I'm going to go to the store and then I'm going to buy it. No, you're going to multiple stores. You're going in and out of the active shopping phase. It's a big giant snaking process. And then there's the consideration phase and then the holidays hit and you drop out of the consideration phase and it takes three months. And so it's a really messy process. And so we, Quinn and I've talked about this a lot and we talked to many brilliant retailers about this idea of making sure that people can buy where they want to buy, how they want to buy, if somebody comes into your store, how are you giving them ease of purchase after the fact with products like podium payments? You know, the be back bus only travels one direction. It's not back to your store. So it, it's a messy world out there. And I think putting as many hooks in the water and giving people that opportunity to purchase and making it easy mm -hmm. and eliminating friction is such a key. Yeah, it's gotta be for everyone, isn't it? I mean, the, the brick and mortar guys, have to go backwards and the direct to consumer guys have to go forwards. And that's just how it is. But Hey, Ben, I have a, a, a question for you. If you can give us a little bit of a bigger picture look. So talk to us about prices on real estate. Talk to us about supply uh, with the current brick and mortar spaces out there. And are there third part of that is, are there, you know, are there any box sizes that are like maybe better deals than others. So sometimes the bigger box things, bigger box environments have been at cheaper cost because there's less demand for them. So give us just a kind of a general feel for real estate out there today. Well, right now, um, physical retail is back. Um, people, stores are opening. And as um, I've said earlier, this year, there's been a 30% drop in vacancy rate in traditional retail real estate available. There's been a 40% drop in a uh, vacancy in malls. Hey, Ben, and do me overall, a favor. You said you, you cut out there for me. What, how much okay. of a drop was that at first? 
in traditional real estate, retail real estate, there's been a 30% drop in vacancy rate. Okay. So stores are filling back up. In malls, there's been a 40% drop in vacancy rate. Malls are filling back up. And as we mentioned earlier, rates, rent rates are going back up, both in malls and real estate stores. Stores are, you know, supplies going down, demands going up, and prices are going up to follow as well. Um, as I'm, uh, there's also, you know, 50 million square feet of new retail online that will be coming open in the next year or two. It's under construction. So there is new supply coming as well. Um, the great thing, again, people are physically shopping again, but for retailers who want to expand, they do need to understand that there are more retailers looking at space. And so the uh, available real estate is shrinking. There's not lots and lots of big boxes just laying around to be picked up at cheap prices. Discount retailers, um, Burlington Coat Factory, Home Goods, um, those folks are picking off these secondary big boxes very quickly. Um, and so there's not a gigantic supply. You know, traditionally, the larger the box, the slower it will turn because there's fewer people who can use it. And it's more expensive to convert that building. So if there's deals to be out there, there's, you know, if you need a 120,000-foot Sears box, there's plenty of them. And they're relatively inexpensive, but operating a 120,000-foot building is very expensive, even though the rent may be cheap. Well, let's talk about that. So they're they're more readily available. You know, you look at some of these malls. I mean, we talked a little bit about this before the show, but Nebraska Furniture Mart just announcing a move into Austin, Texas. And you know what they did in Dallas? They bought all this land around their store, pretty dang smart. Uh, they're doing the same thing in Austin, Texas. So they're not just developing a store for themselves. They're developing the area around the store. So if people want to uh, leech off of their popularity and traffic, they can do that. But Nebraska Furniture Mart's going to benefit as the landlord of that area around their store. So pretty freaking clever, right? But also Nebraska Furniture Mart creates really cool experiences for people to come out. So you know, is, is, do you see more of a trend that way where like the big boxes, like some of these malls that don't have experiences, they're going to have the trouble, right? Mall of America, uh, some of the malls you talked about in Atlanta, if they have, you know, cool experiences, then they'll be the ones that that's where the, that's where the traffic's going to go. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think there's a different take? Well, there are some, uh, uh opportunistic situations where a, a local entrepreneur or small chain will say, hey, I want to have a, a superstore. The mall's got a vacant Sears. I can go in there and get pretty cheap real estate, and I've already got a brand name. And so that's happening. I would not say that's a major trend. It's more of an opportunistic thing. What I do see happening probably is more retailers, either one, they're upselling their, their stores because they've got some available less expensive real estate, or they're saying, you know what, I don't need a 50, 60, 70,000 foot store. I can have a 30,000 foot store, a smaller format store, and I can supplement that my, um, that use my internet or in-store displays to show my full merchandise selection. So a lot of real estate retailers are saying, hey, I can have a smaller format store and still do the sales per square foot because the internet's going to be my endless eye. Uh, so we do see both both trends. Some people are saying, I'm going to take advantage of this big real estate and open a superstore. And then some retailers, more of the chains, are saying, hey, I can have a smaller footprint, save my real estate costs, but still, because I've got a digital store to complement the physical store, 
do that business in a smaller store. Even if you get outside of our category, the furniture and mattress space, when you look at how retail physical footprints have evolved to merge or support internet sales, what are some of the more creative examples? Or do you have any stories out there? I think about the best buys of the world, you know, kind of becoming more of a showroom where you can go in and see something, but they're not as actively trying to sell in that store. It's more of a place where you can go and view it, touch it, feel it. And then they don't, they're kind of agnostic to where you buy it. What, what do you see out there in terms of these worlds colliding or merging? Well, I'll, I'll give the example you did right then of like Bonobos. Um, it's a men's store. They sell clothes. And it looks like a traditional store. You walk in there, but there's no clothes for sale in the store. You can try everything on you want to, but you can't walk out with anything. So literally you try it on, they fit it. You go, this is wonderful. You pay for it and they ship it to you to your private residence. But you cannot walk out the store with a shirt, a jacket, pants. That's not how it works. It is a true showroom, uh, nothing else. Um, and I'm going to talk about the smaller format store. I think a great example, most people are familiar with Target, has started to open smaller format stores, specifically in college towns. Um, and they're doing a tremendous business for those smaller format stores. Um, Macy's recently opened a 25,000-foot store in Noonan, Georgia, and um, and um northern Georgia as well, to try to see, hey, we're going to not be as intimidating, as large, as cumbersome. We're going to have a smaller format store. Bloomingdale's just opened up a smaller format store up in um, D.C. And so you're seeing some traditional brands saying, hey, operating 100,000 stores is expensive. We're going to have a mini store. Um, I think other good examples you'll see, like um, Kohl's has put in uh, Sephora uh, makeup stores within their store. And so you're seeing many stores within a store as well. That's got to be a very yeah. surgical process in terms of selecting the merchandise for those different environments. You talked <laughs> about Target, you know, serving college towns or college students. Uh, but there's a real editing process that, that probably has to go on there, obviously has to go on there. Um, have you been behind the curtain on some of those strategic decisions about, hey, how do we take this giant uh, footprint and all this merchandise and then shoehorn it into a smaller box and how they think about that? I've worked with some retailers and, and asking the question, how, how do we go from, you know, 40,000, 45,000 and to make 30,000 our standard. And it's difficult because the merchants want to show everything as you well know, and the cost accounts want to have the smallest store possible so they can keep costs low. And so there's always that tension between we, we need, we want to show as much as we possibly can but we also want to do it in the smallest space to still have a, an attractive presentation. How do we do that? How do we figure that out? And um, the internet becomes a very integral part of that now and being able to show your full lineup, but still let the customers touch and feel and taste the, the, the best of the best. Ben, is there a, um, when you, when you look at build outs on stores, I assume that this has a lot to do with demand Right. So supply and demand and where there is a higher demand, then the landlords can be a little more uh, conservative when it comes to giving a retailer build out allocations. What's happening to those? Are you I mean, are, are there still good, great deals to be had uh, in terms of that? Or, you know, I guess it all is relative to square footage price as well. But like anything happening there? 
well, in that, general terms? The industry calls that tenant allowance money. Right. Um, when you sign a lease, you may ask the, the landlord to uh, contribute towards the build out of your store. And um, and that is a that is a unique function in every single lease because it all depends on the quality of the retailer. Are they a national brand with deep pockets, great credit, or is it a startup that has no track record? That is a big difference between what a landlord because landlord is basically loaning the retailer the money to build out the store, and then the retailer is going to pay them out over the lease of the term. Um, another issue would be the term. Um, Landlords want a long, steady stream of income. So the longer the lease, they'd much rather have a 10-year lease than a five-year lease because that 10-year lease is something they can turn around and sell or have a bank refinance it. So uh, a 10-year term is very important, the amount of TI money you get. The longer the term, the more TI money or tenant improvement money you can get. And it also functions with the landlord. They have the, have the resources to do that. But weren't they like drunken sailors there for a little while with big incentives just to get people in when demand started to fall? Um, that was, again, it all depended on did the landlord have the money to invest? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, you know, because you're loaning the retailer money. So you have to get the money from somewhere. So you've either got to borrow it from the bank or you've got it in, in house. And so it all is a function of, again, the financial strength of the landlord is a big part of how much money they can loan the retail. So the financial strength of the landlord is a big factor. The financial strength of the retailer is a big factor in determining how much TI money gets invested. If you're hopping in, we're talking to Ben Haverty, Colliers International. Long history in the commercial real estate side of the business for furniture and mattress stores and beyond. And, and Ben, I want to get to Nebraska Furniture Mart first. I just want to talk about that trend and what you're seeing with big brands like that. And then I wanna jump over next. I wanna talk about if you're a furniture or mattress store in a smaller to mid-sized city and you're thinking about expanding, what are some of the questions you need to be asking? What are some of the strategic data points you need to be looking at? But let's start with Nebraska Furniture Mart. And the announcement came out that Nebraska Furniture Mart expanding into the Austin market. And Mark Quinn, you talked about uh, the real estate buying that's happening around the core store, <laughs> call it a store. It's like a campus, but, mm-hmm. but Ben, is that talk about what's happening there with Nebraska furniture, Mart? what kind of, uh, decisions they're making, mm-hmm. how it relates to foot traffic and destination brands, and just some of the trends and analysis you'd put around that project. Well, I'm, I'm going to put it and start at the core where um, a lot of small entrepreneurial real estate retailers, furniture retailers, have always used the real estate as their long-term wealth strategy. The retail, they bought their building, their retail store, they bought their warehouse, and the retail businesses pays the rent. And their long-term strategy is to maybe sell the business, keep the real estate, and then so they will, their children or they in retirement, their children, their grandchildren will benefit from the real estate more than the retail business. And so that trend has been out there forever. I have many clients that they say, I want to grow, but I don't want to lease. I want you to go find me buildings to buy. Uh, and those are a lot of family owned chains that said, I, I'm, we want to grow our business, but we really want to grow our real estate business. Uh, a great example is Rooms to Go. Rooms to Go owns probably about 90% of their real estate. They are outstanding real estate developers. You know, they are buying buildings, building, 
billing stores, and they do quite well. But at the end of the day, um, their real estate holdings are probably as valuable as their retail business. They are outstanding. And what you've seen in Nebraska Furniture Mart is supersized. Um, <clears throat> they are they are in the furniture business, but they're now even getting into the real estate business where they're buying, like if in Dallas, 400 acres, putting their million-square-foot store in the middle of it and then developing everything around it because they bring so much traffic that other retailers, restaurants, hotels, retailers want to be near them to take advantage of that traffic. But what they're transitioning into is, yes, they're in the retail business, but they are leveraging that to become a big player in the real estate business. The long-term wealth, the generational wealth potentially is in the physical asset there. It's not necessarily in the cash that's thrown off from the business that's paying the lease. Hmm. And so what Nebraska First Mart is doing is it's been around forever. It's just people doing on a small scale, you know, mom and pop business owning their real estate and wanting to expand the real estate and Nebraska furniture markets taking it to a whole new level that no one else had ever done before. Do, do you guys remember the, did you ever see the, the, the movie with Michael Keaton about the, the founder of McDonald's, Ray Krog? I think it's Ray Krog, right? Krog? Yep. Ray Krog, Krog. yeah. Krog, thank you. And he's with this accountant and they're doing the books and the <clears> accountant slash attorney finally looks to Ray and he says, Ray, you're not in the fast food business. You're in the real estate business. And it was literally, I don't know if you guys saw that movie, but it was this whole like, you know, total mind shift in how he was looking at his business. And so Ben, that's really kind of what you're talking about here. Well, and the leverage of that story was he was uh, doing a class at Harvard Business School mm-hmm. and he asked the question, said, what business am I in? And they went, you're in the, you're in the fast food business. He said, nope. And he said, well, you're in the restaurant business. He went, nope. And they, you know, you were in the service business. Nope. And finally said, I'm in the real estate business. And so, so he was, he was quite clear on what business he was in. No doubt. No doubt. So Ben, if you, if you look out over the landscape of independent retailers today, and you were going to offer up some advice about how to look at the market right now, from your perspective, what advice would you have for them as they're looking to expand their business? Um, you know, I think number one is first taking care of your core business. Uh, you know, there's that game Strategio where people you want to expand and keep taking over continents. But if you get too, your supply lines get too thin, somebody else can come over and take over your home base. And so I always focus at hey, the most important thing is, is you need to make your current store, your current market a fortress. You want to you want to dominate it so much that no one else really wants to come in there. Um, and then when you feel like I have really dominated this market, I've secured it, no one can come in and hurt me terribly, then you can start saying, I'm going to reach out into new markets because expansion is expensive. The old rule of thumb is if you open your a second store, you double your revenue, you triple your problems, and you cut your profit in half. <laughs> Say it again one more time. That sounds so <clears throat> tempting. Say it again one yeah, more so time. Simply, it sounds great, but uh, you know, all real estate guy retailers are optimists. They know I can replicate what I've got here. I've got a winning formula. I can replicate it in this market, this market. But what tends to happen is when you open your second location, you double your volume, you triple your problems, and you cut your profit in half um, initially. And then if you figure it out, then you will start to triple your profits. 
Um, but it's expanding is complicated. And I always say you need to make sure that your home base is taken care of because expansion is financially expensive. It's um, emotionally expensive. It means that if you, as the entrepreneur, you've got to physically be there probably a lot more, which means you're not going to be at home as much. Um, it is expansion is expensive financially and emotionally and physically. Have you seen people make that kind of accordion uh, strategy, meaning don't buy the real estate, you know, sign leases so you can accordion back down or back out based on the changing conditions. I just imagine people's mindsets right now in relation to real estate and being a little bit gun shy. Um, how, how would you be thinking about um, that strategically? Would you want to be purchasing real estate? Would you think about uh, actually le you know, leasing so that you can shed some stores uh, if you needed to get out of them? Well, um, I've said um, leasing is much quicker than buying because um, most properties out there, somebody owns it and their whole objective is to lease it to somebody to create an income stream. You know, some people are out to sell, but there's, a, there's probably 10 times more property that you could lease than you can buy. Um, so if you want to expand, leasing is a much quicker solution. You may have to wait for years to find the right real estate to buy to expand where you can wait months to find a property that would work to lease. So one is timing, how long you're going to wait. Um, uh, most public companies, furniture companies, need to grow, and um, Wall Street wants you to focus your energies on the core business, not being the real estate business. So uh, people like an Ethan Allen or Haverty's that are publicly, or even a uh, Lazy Boy, they would rather them lease so they can expand their furniture business, not expand the real estate business. Because they're assuming if you're a furniture retailer, you're not a real estate expert, you're a furniture expert. What are some of the questions that the average retailer, mid-sized, small city, need to be asking landlords or need to be uh, asking people associated with the, the buying or the leasing process at, at this stage in the game. Not, you know, I think in the past, maybe you have your standard list of questions, but as things have evolved, what should they be asking and thinking about now? Well, you know, I, uh, to be self-serving, I think the most important thing you do is find a local market expert. You want a guide. If you're going to go into the wilderness, do you want to go by yourself or do you want to go with an experienced guide? It's just that simple. And um, because real estate transactions are not very frequent, you know, people, only expand new stores every once every five, 10 years. It's not something that most uh, entrepreneurs are experts at. They, they've done it once and they got lucky. And if they do it again and do it wrong, they go out of business. And so you want to find an expert who can hold your hand to take you into that real estate jungle to make sure you don't get eaten alive. That's the first thing. And then number two is really study the market, uh, understand the demographics. And in most cases, uh, retailers are going to expand into a market they know. They're already shipping product into a suburb or a nearby city, and they're, they're starting to get a feel and say, hey, it's time for me to open a store there. I've already got a customer base there, opposed to I'm going to go to some new market I've never been to. I don't know anything about it other than I hear it's growing. I'm going to open a store. That, that usually is not a very wise strategy. It's usually just taking the next step down the road into the next logical market. Um, because you also, specifically furniture retailers, you need to have your distribution set up before you open the store. If you open a store and don't have the distribution to support it, you're just going to disappoint customers, frustrate people. It's going to have tremendous expense. So 
having the distribution network before you open the store is critical. So Ben, Mike Kinsley, that was a great question. Now I'm going to follow it up with one, and maybe you already answered it, Ben, but I'm going to ask it just in case. What are, what are the biggest mistakes people make out there as they try to expand, Ben? Is, I assume one of them is trying to do it on their own, even though you know they, they don't have the expertise. Maybe they're not getting the help that they need on the front, so maybe that's part of that. But what are the mistakes people are making that they can avoid? The, the biggest mistake, and I have made it myself personally, is expanding too rapidly. Is uh, as the old saying goes, let your 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 headlights uh, you outran your headlights, um, and that you say, hey, there's an opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of it. Here's another opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of it without having um, the back end infrastructure, and that could be distribution, it could be systems, it could be accounting, could be qualified managements. Is saying, hey, this is such a real de- great deal. I'm going to open it, and then not having all the the back end infrastructure to support that store. Um, that I see is the, the biggest problem. Um, again, if you have a great store and a bad manager, then you have a bad store. I think it's such a good point. I mean, you think about just the basics of growth and growth eats cash. Well, growth eats resources, whatever the resources yep. are. If you don't have a strong position, if you don't have that, just like you described, Ben, a manager that's ready, if you don't have a place, uh, to inventory and warehouse and then distribute in that market. If you don't have the cash to advertise and promote um, and just go on down the list of needs and resources for expansion, growth eats resources, period. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting to think about like, yeah, you might be scared to expand into markets. Um, but what what's kind of the tipping point for people in your experience where they say, no, I got to do it. I got to I got to do it. Like, is it competition? Is it I want to grow my business and I have this grand vision? Is there any one thing you could put your finger on? Well, you know, I think entrepreneurs, number one, are very driven to grow. They want to create something. They want to see the fruits of their labor expand. They they are they're capitalists. They want to make money. Um, they also uh, want to give service that they really think, hey, what I do is better than the other guy. I want clients out there to experience it, but entrepreneurs are ambitious people. They want to grow and expand their impact and their income. Um, and so, as you know, human nature is to go to excess. And so it's it's easier to say, yes, let's go for it. Let's throw the dice high and gamble. Um, and that's how great entrepreneurs are made, but sometimes those decisions don't work out. Um, so it's, it's that balance of saying, I want to grow. Also, at the same time, I need to be very careful in how I do it. That makes total sense. And it goes back to Ben, your other comment about, you know, it doubling your problems and or tripling <laughs> your problems and reducing your 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 profits by half. But, you know, you guys, as, as we talk through growth and going too fast, even more now than ever. Right. Because if you crash the desire to grow against the fact that human resources finding the right people to run a business may be harder than it's been in the last couple decades, right, Ben? So when you look at those two things side by side, that becomes a real issue. Yep. And like I said, a furniture store is quite complex. Home delivery is quite complex. It's not easy. Um, And people who sub it out to third parties, it's expensive on the front end and that they charge a lot. And on the back end, they do not execute as well as a, you know, a, 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 
home delivery team that belongs to the store, that is invested financially in the store, that takes pride in the store. Um, and so it, it is hard to grow both the front end and the back end at the same time. Well, I have two quick questions before we close out of here, and then I'm going to toss it to Kinsley to finish this up. But the first question is, Mark and I have been toying around with this idea to have Dos Marcos listening lounges, like maybe a thousand of them all over the country with a big sign on the top that says Galaxy's Greatest Mattress Podcast. We could go maybe 2,500 square feet, serve tequila shots and cappuccinos. And we just wanted to know if you would like to be our front guy for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be happy to do all those deals for you. As long as I don't have to invest anything. <laughs> Kinsley, what, what Ben is thinking right now is I need, I'm going to need the cash up front for that project. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So there's that. And thank you, Ben, for not crashing down on us too hard in public here. Uh, and then the second one is, you know, Kinsley, listening to Ben talk, it might be cool to do a web show with Ben where people could actually call in with questions because as I'm sitting here listening to Ben, I bet there's a lot of retailers that are listening to this episode right now as they drive their car or work on their treadmills and going, Oh, but you didn't ask him this, I bet they have a lot of questions. So Ben, would you come back and maybe some, spend some time where people could uh, hit you up with some questions in a live format? Yeah, I would love to love to be happy to. That'd be great, Ben. And, and I'm sure that we can uh, continue to tease out a bunch of topics where you can offer wisdom with all your experience. It's, it's been great having you on the show. You're a wealth of knowledge and information and just an all around great guy, it seems. So I can't wait to get and to know you And a good singer, Kinsley. He, he, yeah. he can sing through. In our, in our test. Well, I'm excited we, about what you guys are doing. I think whenever you can educate uh, uh, the retail, furniture retail mattress group, that's wonderful. I, I, like I said, I love the industry. I've been there, been in it for 35 years. I love the people. I love the industry. It serves a great need. And one of the most exciting things is, is home is back in style. Staying at home and making your home furnishings, making your bed more comfortable is back. And uh, and people are spending more time at home. And there's never been a better opportunity for the furniture and mattress industry than what we see coming ahead. So I'm excited for all of us. Well, we're excited as well. And, and I think you're totally right. What a great way to kind of summarize everything that's happening in the world right now. Home is back in style in such a big way. <laughs> and, and, and Ben, hey, thanks so much again for being on the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, check out all of our headlines at famfam.news. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter because we have a great surprise coming your way here in the next few weeks. Yes, Yo Adrian is going to have her own show, Five Minutes of Furniture and Mattress News You Can Use. It's based on the newsletter. And guess what? If you missed the newsletter, or somehow it got jockeyed around in the wrong spot, you can go over to the website now, fam.news, and you can find the newsletter tab. So Adrian's also going to have all of that fun, relevant information piped over to our podcast feed. So there's plenty of places you can get subscribed over at fam.news, so don't miss any of that. And uh, be sure to get subscribed and signed up, become a member. We're, hey, we're, we're your guides in the furniture and mattress industry, just like Ben's been our guide today. Uh, and we're here for you. Text us at 884 Wait, wait, 843 Marcos 2. 843 Marcos 2. Dose. All right, Ben. Hey, thanks so much. We appreciate you. Have a great rest of your holiday season, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye. You can bounce on it. Oh, oh. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly. 
peanut butter chocolate Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest Cool and comfortable, I'm hybrid like a sweater vest You know the game, we're ahead of the sun Cause the two of us together are way better than one Cause I'm cool as ice And I'm hot like a heater Bounce by the ounce, now, now we, we got, got it by the leader. Well, you take a spring and you wrap it up right. You can sleep so smooth or bounce all night. Yeah. Put two together, get a whole lot more. Get the feel of the comfort core. You can bounce on it. Lay back, you don't have to practice. It's the best thing to happen to your mattress. Yeah. Get together to do it like I did. Everybody get hybrid. If you want somebody to get in your vicinity, you probably want to feel a little bit of a hybridity. Foam alone, out of five, maybe one star. Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar. Mad back support, the best way to shack up or just get rest that won't mess your back up. Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist or a mullet. Party in the back of the business. Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus. The ultimate hybrid. Nothing short of cheap. Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of a comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, foam keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl wanna chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam, cause if that bowling ball don't bounce, you'll be sleeping alone. And if the bed don't react, then you can't get low. We got the type of bounce that won't spill your Merlot. So stick with us and you'll get rewarded. Cause I'm so gentle and I'm so supportive. Is where the magic is. And we just killed a song about mattresses. Yeah.